Uh, we had uh, a bean. I don't see the bean plant. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. Mark says, oh, I forgot it. Uh, but I want to tell you, we got a lot of beans. Uh, and we're growing. We, remember we started that out uh, at the very beginning when we started our pro- growth uh, series. And it is a representative of the growth that we have. And I just want to say to you that growth should happen as a result of the seed of the Word of God being placed into your life. When you get born again, the seed comes into your life. And we have, week after week, we have people who are being born again. One young girl was born again during the altar call this morning. And the Spirit of God comes in and takes residence inside of us. It's like a seed. And then we begin to grow. Y'all have figured out that when you get born again, you're not perfect. Ladies, your, your wives, excuse me, ladies, ladies, your husbands <laughs> are not perfect. Can we get an amen, ladies? Men, uh, your wives are not perfect. I didn't have to ask for an amen there. Young people, your parents are not perfect. It's just the truth. When we get born again, we need to grow. I want you to read a passage with me. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, and it really, it talks about that growth that has to happen. It's in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, it begins, and it says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. We call that the fivefold ministry. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we become mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Verse 15. Instead, we speak the truth in love, growing up in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body. Did you notice we're growing, and that's our growth series. We're growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. That's us, the church. Each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. You see that? So you help the other parts to grow. We help each other to grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. That's why we've done the growth process, the growth series, and that is that we are all growing. We need to grow. If you just get born again, and that's it, you'll wither and die. You need to grow in Christ. You need to understand what has happened to you. And it's just like a child who is a baby. That child has to be fed milk, and then later food, and grow more and more and more. And we're doing the same thing. We will grow our whole life. And so we're trying to establish that growth process. And you notice the last few weeks we've been talking about the fruit of the Spirit. Last week we talked about the fruit of faithfulness, how important that is in our life, and how we can have that. We're going to Finish up the last two fruit of the Spirit this morning. The fruit of gentleness, fruit of self-control. Now, let's just think just a moment about gentleness. Uh, Some of the translations use the word meekness. Actually, that's not a really good word in our language. Because meekness it kind of brings up the connotation of weakness. And there's not that 
in, in the Greek or in the Hebrew. It's not an, an act or an attitude of weakness. I can almost describe it better to you by telling you what it's not. When God wants to bring gentleness in us, it is not being mean, not being pushy, not being demanding, not being controlling, but instead being gentle when others are not being really nice. Other people are not always nice to us. You figure that out too. And when they're not nice to you, our old nature wants to not be nice to them. But the new nature, the Spirit of God, we learn to how to be gentle when they're not being nice. You know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs, a soft answer turns away wrath or anger. But really, if you think about gentleness and you think about what you shouldn't be, I want you to just consider the idea of not being demanding. You see, when we demand our way, where did we learn that? We learned that as children. And, you know, nobody had to teach you this when you were a child. We learned as children how to get what we want. Smile at me if you've got children that have figured that out. You say, not my child. Oh, yeah, your child. They know when to pout and be moody to get what they want. And then other times they know when to yell and scream and cry to get what they want. So they learn all these methods to get what they want. What is the real issue here? The issue is control. Control. So the opposite of gentleness is a desire to want to manipulate or control. So what we have to understand is that if we are going to have, and that's what we want to look at, how can we have the fruit of gentleness? Well, it starts out by having new eyes that see things in a little different way. I want you to read a passage with me in Revelation. Kind of an interesting passage in Revelation chapter 3. Because he talks about this. He says in verse 17, You say, I'm rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be ashamed, uh, be shamed by your nakedness, an ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your difference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and we'll share a meal together as friends. The key thing there is that Jesus is saying to the church, is that you're not seeing things correctly. You have wrong sight. You don't see yourself correctly. You don't see others correctly. And from that, you need to turn and repent. And you see, if we're going to have the spirit of gentleness, if we're going to be less demanding and more compassionate as we deal with people, we have to make a decision in our life to have eyes that see correctly. And the very primary thing, if we're going to not be demanding and controlling of other people, is that we have to decide we cannot change other people. Shake your head like this. I can't change anybody. As much as you would like to, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot change anyone. Only God is in the business of changing anybody. Now, you see what happens is we become demanding, pouty, mean, ornery. All those things, yelling, screaming, crying, we do all these things to control them because they're not doing what we want them to do and we want to control them to make them do what we want them to do. And that is the opposite of gentleness. Gentleness says, 
God's in charge. God does all the changing. I can't change. So therefore, I resign from trying to control anybody. And when you do that, you're putting I salve, like he talked about in Revelation 3, and you're beginning to see correctly other people. And you're seeing yourself the way you're supposed to see. And the great secret, and I call it the secret of gentleness, is the realization that you can't change people, that only God can change them. And you stop trying. Because the attempt to change people, the attempt to control people, is when we're mean, angry, upset, mad. Have you, have you noticed people are just plain mean? Have you noticed that when you go waited, you get waited on at a, a large department store, <laughs> people are just downright mean? I mean, you walk up and you want to check out and they look at you and they're playing with their phone or talking with their friend and, and you're, a, you're a hindrance. It's almost like, you're bothering me, would you go check out somewhere else? I mean, the gentleness is dealing kindly and compassion with people who are not treating you well. Hey, anybody can be gentle with people that are treating you nice. Right? If everybody's doing everything you like and everything you want, that's not a fruit of the Spirit. That's just enjoying life. But we're talking about a fruit of the Spirit. Something the Spirit has to do, which is contrary to the old nature. So I want to encourage you. If you're a person who likes everyone to do what you want them to do. And unfortunately, then you begin to try and control them to get them to do what you want them to do. You're not going to have the fruit of gentleness. You will be demanding, controlling, and it, it borders on witchcraft because what is witchcraft? Witchcraft is the desire to want to control others. That's what witchcraft is. And so I want to encourage you to consider resigning from trying to control people. Smile at me. How many of you would consider resigning? Now that means, let me explain this before you raise your hand. That means your sweet wife or your sweet husband, that you're not going to change them. Only God is the one that's going to change them. You know, the great thing that it does, it frees you to be able to love them the way Jesus loves us. You are free to love people because you no longer have the desire to want to control them. And you can love them. And you can forgive them. It's amazing what God can do when you will allow that spirit of gentleness. And it's really just an attitude of being less demanding and more compassionate to other people. But the key is you have to resign from desiring to control people. Because God is the only one that can change them. Now, the other fruit, let's talk about that. And this is, this is so important. The fruit of self-control. Say the word self-control. Now it's interesting. The word self-control has the word self with it. So the very first thing, it, it brings up a little confusion. The Holy Spirit wants to bring fruit in you, and the fruit is self-control. And everything we've looked at before is dying to self. And so you have to ask yourself, okay, fruit of self-control, who's in control? Is it the Holy Spirit or is it, the, is it self? Which is it? It's both. Because here's the thing you have to understand about the Holy Spirit. You never lose your free will. 
when we get born again, the Holy Spirit comes to reside inside of us. We willingly yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And we don't give up our free will, but we willingly yield that to the Holy Spirit. And so what's happening is the Holy Spirit is in control, but we have yielded that control. So never get the idea that we are out of control because we're not. And I've had people do weird and strange things and then say, it was the Holy Spirit that made me do it. And I just want to say that's not true. You are never out of control. The Holy Spirit does not take over your will and make you do things you don't want to do. It doesn't happen. You're just weird. I had somebody once, one time they said, you know, the Holy Spirit makes us a little nutty and fruity. And I said, oh, no, 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 no. You were nutty and fruity before. You just got the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit didn't do that. So the fruit of self-control, it's kind of interesting. Several things I want to say about that. And it's, and it's very similar to the first one. We have to have eyes. We've got to get the right perspective. If we're going to have the fruit of self-control in our life. And I want to tell you, it just seems like everybody's out of control. Everything the enemy does, it looks out of control. Everything the Holy Spirit does, it's not out of control. But everything is purposeful and meaningful. And God is doing something that is special. But the very first thing that I feel like we have to understand, if we're going to have the fruit of self-control, and that is, number one, we are God's workmanship. Some of the translations use the idea of masterpiece or workmanship. I want you to read, if you would, it's in Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to see three portions of this passage Look at the first, because the first three verses kind of talk about the way we used to be, the past. Look at one, uh, it's really one, two, and three. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. Verse 3 says, all of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. So that's the past. That's the way we used to be. Now let's look at the present. But God... But God, we said that again this morning, but God, who is so rich in mercy, and he has loved us so much that even though we were dead, and he described what we looked like when we were dead, because of our sin, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. Boy, that's the truth. For he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. So we are united with Jesus Christ, with Christ Jesus. So this is who you are today. You are united with him. So God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us. As shown in all he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. Now let's look at the future. Verse 8. But God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. We are God's workmanship. He has created us new in Christ Jesus so we can do the things that he planned for us long ago. And I want you to look at that verse 10. Focus on that verse 10. You see, God sees who he created you to be before you were there. The plan that God has for your life was before you were born. Before it happened, God had a plan for your life of who he wants you to be. Now, does everybody follow that plan? No. A lot of times we blow it. 
We mess it up. We follow our own plan. We do our own thing. But at any point in our life, if you will surrender to his lordship, then God has a plan for your life from that point forward to work good in your life. God is never caught at a place in your life where you've messed up so bad that God says, oh my, I, don't, I can't do anything. I can't handle it. You've gone too far. He never gets that way. God always knows what he's going to do in your life for good at any point. And so that's why I can say that today, if you will surrender to him today, God has a great plan for your life. Now, he had a plan for your life 10 years ago, and maybe you messed up those 10 years. But if you will come to him today, he's still got a good plan for your life. At some point, you've got to stop looking at the past and say, I want a new life today. And this, this is a picture. And this is part of the spirit of self-control is we have to understand God has a plan for our life. We are his workmanship. God planned and prepared who we were created to be before we were ever a twinkle in our mom and dad's eyes. Before we were ever created. Before our mom and dad were ever even born. God had a plan for your life. Psalms 139 says that all your days were set before him long before you were ever born. And I know that's a little hard to imagine, hard to understand. It just shows you the awesomeness of who God is. And if we're going to have the fruit of self-control, we have to decide, I am God's workmanship. God is working in my life. God knows what he's doing. He knows who I am and he knows where I've been and he knows where I'm going and God is never caught short. The second thing I want us to see and that is God is at work in every situation. You know how we get out of control? We get out of control because we let Sinful habits take resident in our life. And let's say, okay, well, how do sinful habits get established in our life? How does that happen? And I just want to say to you, most, I'm not going to word, use the word every time or all the time, but I'm just going to say most. Seems like every time, but most sinful habits that turn to strongholds, that turn to harmful addictions, where do they start? They start, the root are hurts and disappointments that are unresolved. We've been having these place uh, restoration graduations now for several years. Young men who's turned their lives around. God has done amazing work. On graduation day, they get up here, their families get up here, and they give testimony of the way it used to be and who they are today. And then the family shares who they used to be and who they are today. And I'm amazed every time they say, many times they say, there were hurts, there were disappointments, there was pain, and I made the decision to medicate that pain with drugs or alcohol. I decided to run from the reality of the pain by these sinful habits. And so I want to say to you that if we're going to have the fruit of self-control, where the Holy Spirit is in charge of our life, and we're willingly yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit in our life. That's the way he wants it. We have to get over those past hurts. We have to. We've got to set those things in their proper perspective. And to do that, you have to understand that 
God is at work in every situation. Let's just, let me just a couple examples in the Bible. Remember the example, Paul and Silas were arrested falsely. They were thrown into jail. And they had every reason to be mad. They had every reason to be upset. They had every reason to be angry at God. God, why did you let this happen? And I bet some of you have said, God, why did you let this happen for some things that have happened in your life? Am I right? Have you said those things? God, why did you let that happen? And the reason we ask those questions is because we are not fully committed to believing that he is at work. We think God is let down. We believe that God has not doing the job he should be doing. God, why did you let that happen? And when we think that, and when we believe that, we set up the position for those hurts. And those hurts open the door for sinful habits. And the sinful habits open the door for strongholds to be built. And those strongholds then open the door for harmful addictions that are difficult, close to impossible to break. But they can be broken. But you've got to go back to the root. You've got to deal with all those hurts. And you've got to decide, God, you are at work in my situation. Story of Paul and Silas. They threw him in prison. They could have been angry and mad, but the Bible tells us in the book of Acts, it says, at midnight they were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening. They weren't mad. They weren't upset. They weren't blaming God. They weren't getting all bent out of shape. They believed God was at work in their situation and God would bring deliverance to them. And when you begin to believe that God is at work in your situation, that's the key to opening the doors. And when they did that, it says, when they begin to sing and worship God, there was a great earthquake and, and the doors opened and their chains fell off. And, and the, the, the jailer said, oh, my goodness, I'm going to have to kill myself because everybody's going to be set free, and, and they're going to blame me, and I'm going to get killed. And, and, and Paul said, no, we're all here. We're all here. God's at work. And the jailer said, what, is, what do I need to be, to be saved? Me and my whole household. God is at work. When something terrible happens in your life, you have got to decide God is at work in my life. Now, I agree that's not always easy. But if you want deliverance, and if you want to make sure those chains don't start get added to your life, you've got to decide God's at work in my life. Look at Jesus. He's heading to the cross to die. Who thought this was a good thing among all his disciples? None of them. Peter said it's the worst thing that ever happened. He chopped off a guy's ear wanting it to stop. I don't think his mom thought this was a great thing. She was weeping for her son's agony. Everybody thought God had abandoned him. Everybody thought this was a terrible idea for Jesus to be beaten like this, for him to be crucified on a cross. But God knew it was a good thing. Why? Because God was at work. Jesus knew God was at work. That's why he said to Peter, Peter, put your sword up. You don't understand what God is doing. And in our life, we have to make a decision. 
Because I can guarantee you if bad things haven't, haven't, haven't happened yet, they will. And more than likely, they've already happened. And they may be going on right now in your life. Your world may be falling apart. And while your world is falling apart, you've got to make a decision. God's at work. I don't see it. I don't understand it. But you don't have to see it or understand it to know that God is at work. You lose your job. The bills are due. You think, Lord, what in the world's going on? God's at work. If you're a child of His, He's at work. He's at work. And you have to believe that. And if you don't, those hurts open the door for sinful habits. You see, the devil, Satan, the enemy, loves to do that. He, he loves to see those hurts in you. That's why Satan is encouraging you to have hurts. Because he knows those hurts can turn into sinful habits. He knows it's a prime opportunity for him to get those sinful habits started in your life. And the last thing I want to say to you, and that is, God wants to break every stronghold in your life. Say that out loud with me, would you? God wants to break every stronghold in your life. You know... I'm a firm believer that if you will trust God in those terrible situations, not only is it God at work, but he wants to break every stronghold in your life. And he does that by helping us to break those hurts and disappointments. You know, it is a terrible thing when somebody you love walks away from God. How many of you in here have had either family, friends, children, close family to walk away from God? Let me see your hand. You know what that's like. A lot of people. Hurts. You have to keep it together and believe God is in control. God is at work and he wants to break every stronghold. A couple of years ago, I came across a testimony from Jim Cimbala. I don't know if you recognize the name. He's the pastor at Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York City. Probably heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And he shared a testimony about his daughter. And I asked that we would show that testimony, kind of cut it down to a decent time. It's worth hearing the testimony. I'm going to ask to cut the lights and show the testimony, if you would. Pay attention. My daughter, who is here today, she got away from us. She got away from not only us, she got away from God. She got away from our house. And my wife and I went through a two and a half year long nightmare that I don't want to go into. But I promised God, as I was getting at the end of it, that as he brought me through it, that wherever I got a chance, I promised God, no matter how hard it would be, as he's my witness today, no matter how hard it would be, I would tell people what God does in answer to prayer. You know what the feeling is not to know where your daughter is when that, she grew up as a model child. I have two other children. Chrissy's now... 25, I have a daughter 21 and a boy 18, but at that time Chrissy was about 17, 18, and it it was, I'm talking nightmare. I'm talking about getting in my car and leaving my house to go to the church in the inner city where where I'm going to face 
you know, 10 new people who visit who are HIV positive uh, and a battered woman and no neat family units and everything discombobulated and I don't want to be the focus. I'm supposed to be there, Carol and I, to minister to them. But I'm crying from the minute I leave my door to the church and saying, God, my heart is broken. My nerves are shot. I've screamed, begged, pleaded try to use money, reasoned, cried, and she's getting worse. She's not getting better. We have a prayer band in our church. It's a more important ministry than the 240-voice Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. There's a prayer band that not only prays through each service, about 20 of them pray through each service on Sunday while I'm preaching and ministering there in a room locked away praying, but now they pray for certain several years now from 2 in the afternoon till 6 in the morning. There's in the church, there's people praying every seven days a week, two in the afternoon till six in the morning. Well, they began to pray for me. And as God is my witness, I would sense myself at night sometimes or shaving in the morning. I would feel God's grace just come underneath me and, 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 and begin to steady me and hold my emotions. And I hadn't even been thinking about God. And I would say, Lord, what is this that's just come into my life? Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's praying. People would be praying for me. God bless them. Then my wife got ill, had to have a hysterectomy, and the hormonal imbalance that she ended up with, my daughter's out of the house, the other two children, I'm doing the best I can. And now my wife is not talking just about leaving New York, which she wanted to, because the enemy had told her, Fine, start your churches and influence people for Christ, but I'm going to have all your children. I've got one, and I'm coming for the other two. And my wife believed it and told me, you can leave with me or you can stay, but I'm leaving. Because he already has Chrissy, and I'm not losing my other two kids enough with this. We can't do this. The atmosphere in the city, New York is a miserable place to be. I'm not there because I like it. I'm there because God put me there. And, and, and then after the operation, she's talking about she doesn't feel any reason to live any longer. And, and I mean, what do you do? Your wife is flipping out. Your daughters, you're preaching, you're doing all of these things. I'm just telling you, oh, how wonderful it is to know that at the throne of grace, no matter what's happening, God can lift you and hold you. What a wonderful God. On a February night in the prayer meeting, my house shall be called the house of prayer. We were all praying, and someone sent a note up to me, a woman, a young lady who hears, hears, who's sensitive to the Lord, and she sent a note up through an usher, and the note said, I feel deeply impressed that we should stop the prayer meeting and pray for your daughter. I looked at the note. People were praying all around me. I looked at the note and said, God, is this really you? I don't want to be the center of attraction. People have their own needs, but I felt impressed it was. I stopped the prayer meeting after a little while, and everybody gathered together in that room, in that church, and held hands, uh, over a 1,000 people probably that night. And, and I called one of my associate pastors in the front, and he began to pray. And all I can tell you, and I don't know what your theology is, and it really doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell you what happened. You know where Paul said, Paul said, I travail like a mother giving birth to Christ be formed on you? Well, I told the people, my daughter thinks up is down, and down is up, and she thinks light is dark, and dark is light. And unless God visits her and intervenes, my daughter is out there. And, and, and I'm going to, someone wants me to stop the meeting so you could pray. My associate's going to come. He's going to pray. And suddenly, it turned into a labor room. And they began to pray. I was overwhelmed by it. I was, as God is my witness, I was overwhelmed by it. I mean, they began to pray as if they went to the throne of grace like, and now, Satan, you will give up that girl. Just about a day later, I was shaving. And my wife burst into the bathroom and said, Chrissy's here. I said, Chrissy, I hadn't seen her in four months. Chrissy, and you better go down. I went down the steps and in the wiping off the shave cream and in the, in, on the kitchen floor was my daughter on her knees. And then when I walked in the kitchen, she grabbed at my pants leg. She pulled it. She was weeping and she said, Daddy, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against myself. I've sinned against you and Mommy. Daddy, Forgive me for being rebellious, etc. Daddy, Daddy, it's different. But Daddy, who is praying for me? Who is praying Tuesday night for me? 
What, Chrissy? What happened? And she drew up to me. She said, in the middle of the night, God woke me up. And he showed me that I was heading toward a chasm and it had no, it had no bottom. But Daddy, even as he showed me that and showed me how off I was, he put his arms around me and he showed me that he loved me and he had a plan for my life. And Daddy, I, I made it right with God. And I could tell by her face she was my daughter again, the one I had raised. Very soon God opened the door and for the next four years she directed the music program at a Bible school. She married a man of God. They're both in the ministry today. And God reminded me once again, my house shall be called a house of prayer because when you call, I will answer. About eight or nine years ago, my daughter. A lot of you people have loved ones that have walked away from God just like this. Just because you're walking righteously before the Lord doesn't mean your kids are perfect. Sometimes they walk away from God. If you hear the whole testimony, you'll find that there were hurts. There were hurts. There were disappointments. Being a pastor's daughter. And she let those hurts take root until finally she walked away from her family and she walked away from God. But thanks be to God, she's home. But I just want to say to you, God wants to break every stronghold. You see, brought a chain up here. We say he wants to break every stronghold. It's like we're wrapped in a chain. Now, when you started those sinful habits, they weren't chains. They were just things you like to do. They were just fun things you like to do. And, and it seems as though you had control over them. But the more you involve yourself in those sinful habits, they begin to grow. And they go from sinful habits to strongholds, and from strongholds to addictions. And now they're not just little things you enjoy doing now. It's like you're wrapped in a chain. And each link, each link is a hurt. And those hurts begin to link up with other hurts. And they begin to grow until you have enough hurts that you're wrapped in a chain. And it comes around you. And you try to get free of it. And you can't. But by the Spirit of God, those chains can be broken. You've got to be able to work those things one at a time break those chains and you do it by allowing God to heal those hurts a lot of you have a bunch of linked together hurts that have now become chains and strongholds and they're stealing the life out of you they're robbing the destiny that God has for you. God wants to break every stronghold. Every stronghold. Every hurt. Every disappointment. And I say this in love. Some of those hurts are self-inflicted. All of them? No. Some of them are self-inflicted because of choices we make. 
And we got to own up to those choices. That's just the truth. Other times, we have hurts that had nothing to do with us. It had to do with other people that are selfish and sinful. Because selfish people hurt innocent people. That's just the way it is, too. But whether, whether it was intentional or not, he wants to break every stronghold of your life. I've asked the worship team to come out, and, and I've asked them to sing, break every stronghold. Break every stronghold. The blood of Jesus. And as they sing that, I'm going to ask for you. If you would be willing to gather here at the front with me, I'm going to ask that God would break every stronghold by releasing all of those hurts, all those disappointments. We're going to sing it. Disappointments. And he wants to break every chain, every stronghold, every addiction. I'm gonna wait just let's sing it one more time. There is power in the name of Jesus. need to say this because you have to you have to deal with first things first we can pray this morning to break every stronghold but I have to say to you if you're not born again it won't do any good first you must give your life to Christ you must first be born again because if you broke the strongholds, it wouldn't hold because you've got to have the power of Jesus Christ in your life. So before we pray to break strongholds, is there anybody down here at the front or is there anybody up there that you want to be born again? You need to be born again first. Anybody? I, I, I just don't want to get anything ahead of anything. Anybody? 
If you are and you want me to pray for you to be born again, I'm just going to ask you to make your way right, kind of make your way to the front so I kind of know who you are. If, if you want to be born again, anybody. Otherwise, we're going to pray for strongholds. You, yes, sir. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else to join this young man? Anybody else? We want to deal with first things first. Come on. Come on. Anybody else? Come on, young man. Thank you. Yeah, both of you. Come here. Join this young man here. Thank you, Lord. Anybody? Thank you, Lord. Here we go. Thank you, Lord. Anybody? Yeah. Come on. Let's, let's pray for right now. Let's get this settled. Pray out loud with me. Heavenly Father, I give my heart to you. I confess I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. I ask Jesus Christ to come into my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sin. I am born again by the Spirit of God. I will never be the same. I surrender my life to you. Grow in me, Lord, and make me a new person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Thank you, man. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Thank you. I'm going to talk to Freddie. Freddie, you want to talk to this young man? Now let's pray. Breaking every stronghold. It's just, it's just what we said. It's just like all these things are just... They're chains, and you've got to be able to break those things. So join with me. We're going to ask the Lord. We're going to start asking Him to release every hurt and disappointment. There's somebody up here. You've been mad at your daddy for years and years and years and years because what he didn't do. And I just want to say to you, Maybe you didn't do all the things he was supposed to. And maybe you didn't have a perfect daddy. Nobody did. Forgive him anyway. Forgive him anyway. Pray out loud with me this morning. Heavenly Father, I release every hurt, every disappointment in the name of Jesus. I release it to you, Lord. I ask you to heal my heart. Every hurt. Every disappointment is yours, Lord. I surrender it to you. Heal my heart, oh Lord. Thank you, Father. I release it to you. Right now, Lord, I ask you to break every stronghold in my life. Every sexual habit, every sinful habit, every habit that is not pleasing to you, I ask you to break that habit, Lord. Every stronghold is broken in Jesus' name. Every addiction broken in Jesus' name. I release them to you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for setting me free. Thank you, Father. One by one, break every link of every chain that binds me. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.